How's it going, everyone? Glad you could join us for another episode of Core 4 Life. We're your hosts. I'm Mike, here with Matt, Ryan, and Andrew. As we bring you another episode every Thursday to discuss four key pillars in our lives. Be fit, be driven, be noble, and be chill. And how our faith is the backbone behind each of those pillars. We're talking to some awesome guests along the way, as well as tackling different topics, all in the pursuit of staying accountable with each other and living our lives the way God intended. Tune in each week to see if there may be something missing in your life. Let's jump into today's episode after a quick ad for our sponsor. Uh, so we're excited to hop back on the mic here tonight. We've got a former D1 college athlete, U.S. Olympian, and American bobsled world champion with us. Uh, also, Hollywood stuntman was part of that career path that you had. And that all turned into overseas mission work and family man today. So uh, excited to have Brock Kreitzberg on here with us. So uh, thanks for being here, Brock. Mike, thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself little background what you're up to these days so i am the husband of one wife <laughs> that's good that's good good start, good start. <laughs> yeah. i have four kids yeah I have four kids join I the club around a, here not uh, me six-year-old five-year-old three-year-old and a four and a half month old girl so there's a lot of chaos at my house yep, yep. but it's good like it's great to have healthy healthy kids that jump on you and want to play with you and uh, it's good. It's good keep, to keep you young too. You know, people well, say makes, that it makes you older. <laughs> yeah, people say you know, kids keep you young. It's like no, they keep me tired. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I haven't slept in, uh, through the night in like four and a half months. Last <laughs> night I was up like two or three times with my little girl. Mm. My my wife was up like three times, and so it's like every two hours. Man, yeah, it's, yeah, you're still in the thick of it. There, it with, is, but uh, it's good, right? My 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 parents say enjoy. It's gonna gonna go by quick i'm like it's yeah <laughs> could use a little speed up at <laughs> yeah. this point right now feels long but yeah, yeah no but it's is. good i mean i love having a little girl i have three boys um and, and a little girl so it's 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 a lot of fun in our house that's awesome yeah awesome um so we always do here for our season two uh maybe season three we'll see if this is going to be the first one that we release for season three you know our season's pretty arbitrary but you know it <laughs> doesn't matter uh so we got drink of choice here moscow mule so we got nice uh tall boy cans of cayman jack i think we all approve of it brock yeah. doesn't know yeah. because he brock can't, he no can't taste i right can't now. taste a thing so, for the last like two months uh <laughs> that sucks sorry we'll enjoy it for you i guess i'd say arguably the most refreshing moscow mule in the world it's this del- is that what it's it says, it says what it says <laughs> on the can. Yeah, I don't know who's arguing that, but sounds about right. It is. Sounds Mule, about right. Mules are definitely the uh, drink of choice for season two. That's right. We had another. We've had, we had a. We've had a Kentucky mule and oh. another Moscow mule, yeah. right? And a different Moscow, but all mule. different because we all ma- different. we made the other two and we got, got you the cans because you mm. mentioned the cans. I mean, so I, I, I'm I mean this is way can. easier and it tastes just it as is. good. It is fantastic. Cayman Jack, go buy it at your local grocery. Not a sponsor. So. Yeah, we just we'll we'll dive a little bit. You got a crazy story. I mean, we've known each other now for a few months. Uh, I got to know through our boys' T-ball team. So, and I know Sarah and and your wife uh, Danielle have gotten to know each other a bit, uh, and we've talked through it again. Yeah, crazy story. You've got uh, just the background of all those different things that I mentioned in the intro. So, why don't you just kind of kick things off from I guess from your 
college career of football, what that led into, and, and really some of that path that, uh, that led you to where you're at today. Yeah, you know, growing up, my dream was to play in the NFL. Like everything that I did, I, I thought if I could play uh, Division I college football, I'm going to be in the NFL. And it's interesting, I, I had the opportunity to play at the University of Toledo, had a, had a good career there. Um, became a believer, became a Christian when I was in college. Um, didn't know the Lord before that and was really searching. And, you know, as an athlete, you try to, do, you try to fill your life with success and uh, accomplishments. And the more I tried to do that, you know, I had this empty, emptiness inside of me. And the more I tried to do that, the emptier I became. And my, my um, second year in college, I became a believer. And obviously still played football, still had that desire to... Uh, to play in the NFL, but after after college, I was in minicamp with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it's interesting when I was there, I was like, I don't, I don't want to be here. I'm more excited about mm-hmm. going to seminary. I mean, you know, I'm thinking I'm either playing in the NFL or I'm going to seminary, and I really wanted to go to seminary to to learn more um, about what I believed and why I believed it. And so I was more excited. You know, I'm I'm sitting um, in the locker room. I'm sitting in the hotel after practice going, I don't want to be here. I actually want to leave. And you know, my childhood dream. And so it's just, um, you know, God's hand on, on changing my heart in such a short amount of time. But mm-hmm. hmm. any case, uh, didn't, uh, didn't play in the NFL, wound up going to seminary. And when I was in seminary, I had an itch to compete again, you know, as a, as a, as an athlete, it's in your blood. And so I, uh, was recruited by the U S bobsled team. And so it was a three or four month recruiting process where they brought athletes in and they cut, cut athletes. And all of that came three of us. And that just started a journey with, uh, competing. We had a season every year, uh, both in uh, a few, we have some, they had some tracks in, in North America, but primarily in, in Europe and every, every week is a four month season from, um, fall to, to probably February. But you'd go around every week traveling with the same, same group of athletes from around the world, and you competed um, and, uh, against each other. And in 2006, I had the opportunity to represent the U.S. Um, in, um, in sport of bobsled at the Torino Olympics. So what was, that, what was that time frame from when you were trying out for the Bucks, and then you yeah. went to seminary, mm-hmm. and then yeah. you ended up becoming a U.S. Olympian? <laughs> for what, what was yeah. that period so of time? So that was um, – I was in minicamp with Tampa Bay in 99 was went to seminary after that. Um, and then made the, the national team for bobsledding in 2003 and then in the Olympics Olympics in 2006. Okay. So you had finished up your seminary degree and everything at that point yeah. in time. And, yeah. and you were kind of in the phase of, all right, I'm, a, I'm either going to become use this for something or at this point or, get back to competing yeah, I mean, and I, go be I, I think I really I probably was trying to avoid getting a real job yeah no, that's, <laughs> that's what I was asking yeah I wasn't ready I was like mid-20s and I said I don't want I was when I was going to seminary I was a chaplain at, at a retirement community so I, I was like I don't think I can do this <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, be, I mean not not just a chaplain just work so yeah and that's I, I said I might as well try bobsetting and I was actually halfway decent at it so competed for the next seven years and and what's that like? I feel like a lot of us have played like maybe high school football, so know some like football training and drills. Like, what's the like football to bobsled that feels like a very big difference? Yeah. What's the skill set you need to be a bobsledder? Fast and powerful. And okay. so 
So you're really pushing. Yeah, pushing. So I spent, um, I would train six days a week, um, four to six hours a day, Mm. every day. Okay. Uh, And half of that was at the track, so doing a lot of speed work. And the other half was in the gym, so doing a lot of Olympic weightlifting. And I had never Mm. done that in college. We did hammer strength in in college. And so so I had to learn to power clean, to snatch. so it was it was pretty intense. I've never trained um, as hard, and it was a mentality of you push your body as far as you can go, and then you push it more. Even though your mind is telling you no, you got to go further because in bobsledding, every hundredths of a second right yeah. matters, and every at that level, everyone's an elite athlete. Yeah. So like, how are yeah. you gonna how are you gonna uh, set yourself Be that apart? Much better, right? And like. Every workout, like it's, like it's not cutting corners, it's pushing yourself and, and following the, you know, you, uh, the coach. And so following exactly what, what he said. And then not only that, but doing outside of, it's not just the training, but everything that you do outside of the gym that really helps to contribute to when you're in the gym. So mm. your diet and like everything else. So my diet, ice tight. tubs, uh, ice baths. Have you guys taken an ice oh, bath? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, f- just fill it up and ice water and then just sit there for 10 minutes and yep it's tough you know if you're like you're gonna throw up the first two minutes <laughs> my brother-in-law just got one this summer so we've, mm. been, we've done a few oh, get one. ice tubs and he just got an ice machine right, well, so that's we where said we're going. tomorrow we're oh, supposed to actually no. do oh one. man that's, so that's, um we did a couple in the summer and they were it was miserable i could do like five minutes and i was just like dying yeah after the first couple minutes if you don't move like your legs kind of numb up numb and then if you move it's like I feel like it was like the whatever the line was. I'm just oh, like, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Or we'll hit that tonight if we go over to watch the UFC fights. That's where maybe we're we going. So maybe we a little ice bath. I don't know, a little sauna, <laughs> ice bath challenge. You yeah. can just go out in the snow and just pile. Yeah. Up That's true. Your legs. That's that true. would actually yeah. not be so bad. Don't, don't even need to buy anything. Yeah. <laughs> you can just come pour water on you yep, as yep. you're doing it. That'd be just solid. How do you, how do you get recruited for a bobsled team? Like what? Like are they going around looking for athletes? I, it's a brand Bob new. Yeah, it's a brand new thing for me to yeah, to hear it's, about. So outside now, of Cool Runnings, we really don't know much about bobsledding <laughs> outside of that movie. Well, cool Runnings really gave it a lot of notoriety. I mean, if if I talk about skeleton, like, yeah, people don't know what skeleton mm-hmm. is, right? It's on your head. I mean, it's not on your head. It's on your, your stomach. Diving face first, right? <laughs> yeah, face first, know. but. A bobsledding, you say, oh, cool runnings, right? Most people have, have seen cool runnings. And um, so now they have more of a organized recruiting process. But when I was there, I was training on a high-speed treadmill system to get back into football, actually. And the bobsled team was training with the same type of facility in Salt Lake City. And so they recruited through that facility. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Did you do four-man or... Two man. I did four man and two man in okay. in the Olympics. I did four man, but um, outside of the Olympics, I did two man and four man. So the next year, my driver and I won the overall World Cup title in two man. Oh, so okay. I, you That's just awesome. you just double the driver and one push athlete doubles. So um, were you the push athlete? Then? I was okay. Yeah. So you were the big pusher in the back, pretty yeah. much. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, that was the year after yeah. Torino, right? It was, Because yeah. you guys finished what? At Seventh. Torino? Seventh, okay. Which, you know, we were predicted to win a gold medal. Oh. My, my driver had won a silver uh, in 2002 in Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake Cities, and he we were ranked numbers, uh, I think we were ranked second in the world. So a lot of a lot of expectations, and we, we tanked. So. Mm. Mm. That's a mm. bummer. 
Yeah. But hey, <laughs> came back strong though. You say won won the worlds. The no, uh, but a year too year. late. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. You win a gold medal in the Olympics. That's a big deal. You're a World Cup champion. It's like, yeah. What, what are you yeah. doing for me in the Olympics? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. And how was your like your faith journey during that? So you've already been out of seminary by mm-hmm. time. Then you're going yeah. into the Olympics. So how was that? Maybe affecting like your faith mm-hmm. and your your outlook on like ministry and, and that sort of thing, like as you're in the middle of that training and like that, that intense of a program. Yeah. Um, it was hard. It, it was hard. Um, because it's very, as an athlete, you're very self-centered and everything mm-hmm. revolves around you and, um, and making yourself better. And so, um, you know, you don't have a lot of believers around you. And so, um, so it was a, it was a struggle to to you know to grow to be consistent and grow in, in my walk uh, with the Lord, um, especially going from like maybe a seminary environment where like yeah. that's what you're focused on is yeah, that it was growth like a little getting, Christian you know, bubble diving into it and then going back yeah. into that world yeah, of like I a mean, professional athlete and and we can talk about this uh, maybe in a bit but just you know God wound up breaking me um, mm-hmm. um, after I, I retired from sport and so. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to say I was. Uh, I think I could have done a, a better job in my in in my walk. You know. Yeah. Um, not not that of course not that I walked away from the Lord, but just I think I could have done a, a better job. Just the level to be at that level, it's tough probably to to have that balance and to be able to focus on that relationship, like you said. Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> it could be, could be easier. I mean, just be honest. I could have. I mean, you know, you. Um, any any environment that that a believer is in, you know, can be challenging, right? It's just you just have to have the yeah. discipline and put the work in, just like an athlete, right? You have to be disciplined. Um, come to, come each day, do the work. I mean, work as in like spend time with the Lord, right? And and be and be dis, uh, be faithful, right? And mm-hmm. um, you know, I could have I put more discipline um, into my physical training than I did my spiritual training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did that look like then as you were transitioning out of the sport of bobsledding? Why did you transition out and and kind of what challenge did you face during that period? So I won the World Cup title in um, in 2007. 2008, I had a hip injury. And so I wound up having hip surgery, missed that next season. And I wound up having two hip surgeries. I had my hip scoped. And then after I had the surgery, my ball partially... Uh, moved away from my hip socket, so it's partially dislocated. And a, a doctor told me if you don't have surgery, you could be in a wheelchair in ten years. Hmm. And so that was—I um, really didn't have much of a choice. So I, I had surgery. I had my um, my hip reconstructed, and it was a hard, hard surgery. I was—I couldn't walk for couldn't walk on my my leg for for uh, six weeks. Really um, had to learn to walk properly again. But I trained and. Um, rehabbed and, and in 10 months I was able to, to, I made the national team, but I wasn't the, the same athlete made the national team. And I remember, um, so you think about this Olympic year, right? You have for Bob setting, you have the fall, you have the first half of the season. They're all in Europe. Well, when Christmas comes, the athletes will stay in Europe so that they can, um, continue to train their, their sleep doesn't change. Uh, their diet doesn't change. It's just in a routine leading up to the Olympics. And that's what I did um, that year. But on Christmas Eve, I remember getting a call from my coach and telling me, Brock, you're just not performing. 
um, like uh, like you should, and we're sending you home. You Ugh. home. This was on Christmas Eve, and I was mm. devastated. Right, it essentially ending my bid to um, to make a to an Olympic team. Yep. And so I talked to a friend of mine, and he said, uh, "Why don't you?" He was a um, he lived in L.A. He said, "Why don't you come out to L.A. and I'll get you some work as a stuntman." And um, probably good for the hips. <laughs> you know, I wasn't that good. You know, <laughs> I did a lot of the rigging, like behind the scenes. I did two paid on. Um, um, it was um, CSI New York and oh, The nice. Mentalist. So two shows. Oh, everything yeah. else. <laughs> everything else. I was. Um, I was behind the scenes, but I was on The Mentalist, and and I'm I'm sitting there. I'm standing there. I'm watching everything take place. Right, the scenes, and and I thought to myself, I'm doing the exact same thing that I did when I was an athlete. As an athlete, I was investing in my body, and now, as a stuntman, they make they make good money. Um, I'm investing my pocketbook, uh, and when when I die, is that really what I want to do? Is that the legacy that I want to to leave? Is investing in myself, and so, um, that's when I started exploring opportunities. You know, of I decided I wanted to serve someone else or something else, and I began to pray, pray the most the scariest and most exciting prayer I've ever prayed. It's God, I will go anywhere or do anything for the name of Christ, mm-hmm. and it's at that point. God had stripped me of my athletic ability because of my hip. I was broke. I had no food, couldn't, didn't have enough money to put gas in my car. I had no community there. And he said, all that you valued is gone. Will you still follow me? Mm. What are you going to do? And I said, I, I, could, I, could, I could walk away but I'll be lost. Like, what am I going to do with my life? What, what is going to be my foundation? And so that's when, uh, you know, I decided to, again, start looking for opportunities overseas and well, not even overseas, just serving something else rather than, than me. Mm-hmm. And what did that, what did that look like? What, what was God calling you to and what did you do? So there was a tsunami and earthquake in Japan 10 years ago. And I felt a calling to the Lord to go to Japan. I didn't know anyone in Japan. Um, I've never been there, but I felt God was calling me. And so uh, I, I met a friend of a friend that lived in Japan. So I sold everything that I owned, which wasn't a whole lot, but <laughs> my car, everything mm-hmm. that I didn't fit in a four by four storage container, bought a plane ticket and flew to Japan. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a plan. I had a waterproof bag. One, figured, one-way ticket? Um, it was a one-way ticket. Wow. Yeah. yeah, one-way ticket. I knew God was calling me. And he was calling me to take a step of faith. And I had a waterproof bag. I knew probably be wet there it was a tsunami <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and some clothes. And I had a sleeping bag and I left and I met a guy I didn't know, but he was, um, he was volunteering with Samaritan's purse. And so, uh, mm. within uh, we, I was connected with them and within two weeks I wound up, um, being offered a job with Samaritan's purse. It's crazy. And was this the time, was this like the Fukushima earthquake yeah. and like the nuclear power yeah. plant my, went my down there? My family was, was like not that? happy. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, of the radiation. Crazy. They're, they're freaking out that, that I'm going that I'm going there. And I said, God is calling me. I don't know. I don't hear from God often. I mean, <clears throat> like a pushing, like, like a direct, in, like yes, like I feel like the Lord, like it's the Holy Spirit who is continuing to push me on this. And yeah, it's we, only a handful couple of times we've talked a lot about like how do you hear that calling from god like we've we've 
um, talked about, you know, what is your purpose? How do you find your purpose? How do you find your drive in your case? Like, how did you, how did you feel that? How did you know that he was calling you? Like, well, that's a good question. I prayed. You know, I, I, it was, it was like a consistent, um, nudge in my soul. Right. And, um, I continued to pray and I waited. I, I didn't make an immediate reaction, but I prayed. Um, I saw count wise counsel people that I trusted and said, does this align with, could I do this? Mm-hmm. And, um, I prayed, I waited, I sought counsel. And then as I waited, I wanted to see if it kind of went away. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah. And so then Just I, the urge to go over there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so I, um, I took a step of faith. Yeah. Well, and it's like you had mentioned you had done all these other things that are big things that would lead to fame, notoriety, money, and they kept leaving you empty um, and kept feeling like there's something else and I want to live for something else and serve something else and not myself. So it was probably just like, hey, I, all right, God, tell me what that is. And at the time, that was probably the biggest thing going on in the world at that point in time. You're like, all right, feels like God's, that's where he's pushing me. And, and then you jumped and that's, I mean, that's an awesome story. So what was the job with Samaritan's purse and what did you, yeah, so what did that look like as you got started with them and kind of some of that career path? So I, um, entry level when I first started, no experience, <laughs> right? I was a bobsledder. <laughs> no not, a of, not a lot of overlapping skills there. <laughs> what, what do you have in the bobsled department? <laughs> um, I have transferable skills. That's what I, that's what I thought. Someone's going to hire me because I have these transferable skills, discipline and drive. And oh, I thought you were about transferring the bobsled from one spot to the other. That's why I can transfer. Well, not with my hip. I couldn't yeah, really true. do that that's anymore. True. I didn't really offer that as a, as a, as a skill. It wasn't on your resume. No. <laughs> uh, but I, so I was a base manager. So we had these, you had these different bases because um, the, uh, uh, the tsunami, tsunami and earthquake just hit, you know, hundreds of miles of the coast. So I ran a base with volunteers that went and rep- repaired homes. And I did that for a year, which was great. And after that, that same call that I felt going to uh, J- Japan, I felt a call to go to South Sudan. Now, South Sudan is a rough place. It's East Africa, very, it's a developing developing country kind of like east cleveland or <laughs> probably a step below <laughs> okay. All right. yeah. so it's um but god was calling me there and so i i moved there with samaritan's purse and i lived in a refugee camp so it's right um, south there's sudan and then there's south sudan i lived right on the border of in south sudan of sudan and it was refugees who had who had come down from sudan because the government was bombing bombing their people so mm-hmm. Um, I, I lived in a pop-up tent height. I could only stand up in the middle. I, there was a pit latrine. Um, um, you know, it's called a weight loss camp because you go there and you lose 15 pounds, but I ran a food program for, um, 60,000 refugees. So we fed 60,000 refugees every month. Wow. And that was, uh, we partnered with the UN United Nations world food program. So, um, that was hard. It was, it was a hard, it was a really rewarding because like you're actions you're serving people and your actions are making immediate need so i did that for a year and then um stayed in south sudan got married to to my wife and then we uh, came back and i was a country director so i um 
was responsible for running the country for Samaritan's Purse. I did that um, in South Sudan, and then my wife became pregnant with our first son, Akai. And um, hi, Akai, because they're going to be listening. <laughs> Ari, and, Atticus, and, you, and Riley. you met Danielle through Samaritan's, Samaritan's Purse. Purse. Yeah, she was living in Liberia. So we wow. were introduced through a mutual friend. So she still had that call. She had a calling as well to live overseas completely apart from, <clears throat> from me. And so um, we got married and lived in the South Sudan. Then we moved to Uganda uh, because healthcare was non-existent in South Sudan. And so uh, did the same type of um, oversaw um, Uganda, the country office. Did that for two years, and I felt God was calling me back to the U.S. So then I moved to, back to our headquarters is, is in uh, Boone, North Carolina. And so uh, for, the, for, the ne- for the next three years, I ran um, the International Disaster Response Unit. So anything that Samaritan's Purse responded to outside of the U.S., I was responsible for. Um, one, un- I guess, memorable response, though, was in the U- uh, U.S. Uh, three years ago, we ha- uh, there was a hospital in Central Park, New York, for COVID. I'm not sure if you guys remember that. Yeah, um, I think I remember seeing that. So like anyways, pop up uh, tent yeah. So we, that was Samaritan's Purse. So that oh, yeah. was my response. We had a hospital just like that in, um, in Italy. And then we had the same one in, um, in Central Park, New York. Hmm. So, but we responded to tsunamis, earthquakes, war, whatever it was, we, uh, we sent people over there to, to respond. Hmm. How big is Samaritan's Purse? Like how many people 5,000 people globally and we have so Samaritan's Purse they have their headquarters but then they have so many different arms of the organization and they have different country offices which I I worked in um, that support uh, longer term programming with food food insecurity clean water uh, medical um, medical needs Hmm. awesome so it's a it's a great organization and and um, I mean we really believed in the work that um, that they were doing that we were doing yeah you said like everything you're doing, that's like a direct immediate need, you know, yeah. food for people that are in a yeah. refugee camp or something like that yes. or in a disaster area. Like, yeah, yeah. You're, you know, you could be handing out the, the, the only meal or, they've had in a long the time clean water. Yeah. Whatever it was that uh, non-food items like blankets or, um, jerry cans, jerry cans are what they carry the water in. Mm-hmm. You know? So what would that, you were mentioning this a little bit to me earlier. What would that look like then when you get called into some of those, uh, disaster areas, um, as far as your, your workload and how much you, how much time you were really spending on work and helping and serving in that way. So I, when I was at our headquarters, uh, there would be a disaster. Part of our responsibility was to monitor, monitor the world of like different disasters and then respond. And so if, if we decided to run, uh, to respond, we had, um, caught on call, disaster response specialists around the country. And so we would have to gather them, either fly them over directly or Samaritan's Purse had a, had a plane. And so get them on the plane, all the supplies, um, we'd have to get the supplies on and then fly them over. Like it was hundred hour weeks that we would work uh, trying to get uh, the response going because many times uh, we would be flying there and have no idea what the situation is on the ground. We have a contact, we are able to most times we're able to, we have permission to land. Sometimes we didn't, mm-hmm. we would get it when we, we would land and saw God's hand on that quite, quite a bit of just 
flying into some hard places yeah. without permission and like, still thanks mm-hmm. for not getting shot yeah. <laughs> yeah. so i would and my job was to run the response from our headquarters so we had a team on the ground but from the headquarters i would um i would run that so i wasn't during a disaster i was not um for that job that was not my responsibility okay. i had other people who did that gotcha okay and then what happened from there like how did you transition out from samaritan's purse to where you're currently at today so i'm the executive director of summit missions international and uh, i've been in my current role for for about a year we partner with christian leaders and churches in eastern europe to provide uh, practical help and spiritual hope um, for the purpose of sharing uh, god's love for them through jesus christ and you know, I worked for a Samaritan's Purse for, for eight years, and it was, a, it was a great organization, but I felt God was calling me to something different. Um, you know, at Samaritan's Purse, it's such a big organization. You have your little slice of the, the pie, and that's where you stay. And I felt God was calling me to use my experience with Samaritan's Purse, uh, with, my, with my education, to invest in a, a small but growing international organization. And so, you know... The, the, a quick story. Uh, I was home visiting from North Carolina, and I saw this. Um, I saw they were um, recruiting through uh, a website, and I saw this website. I saw them. I thought it was on a Thursday night. I said, "I'm gonna go. I'm gonna apply for this online tomorrow." I get up the next morning, and I feel this nudge, this very familiar nudge that I felt before, <laughs> and he's like, "You need to go. Huh. Like you need to go. You need to go to to Summit Missions and." Um, and give him your resume. Well, I didn't have any clothes. I had my t-shirts and shorts. And so I went over to my brother-in-law, you know, and I was like, can I borrow some clothes? And so <laughs> I go, I drive over there and I, I, I knock on the door, no one answers. Um, so I call the, the executive director at the time answered and I said, Hey, I'm interested in the job. He's like, yeah, you can apply online. I was like, well, I'm actually in town. I'd like to drop off my resume. He's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'll be here till 12 and then you can come next week. And I said, I'm actually at your door and <laughs> can you let me in. And so that's when it started kind of the whole process of, um, of me interviewing. But I found out after I was hired, um, he and his wife, the founders, his wife, they had been looking for an executive director. She's like, why can't God just send someone to show up at the door? <laughs> you know, and it's just like, wow, this is, yeah. I mean, seeing on both sides. And so just God feeling a strong call to, to invest in such a, a great ministry that is, uh, we work in Eastern Europe in a place called Transnistria. Has anyone heard of trans? Not Transylvania. I, I read it on I read it on your website, yeah. but other than I've that, because yeah. so, you told me a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So we work, so there's, there's, uh, uh, Romania in the south, Romania, there's Moldova, and then there's Ukraine, then there's Russia. But within Moldova, there's a semi-autonomous state called Transnistria. There's a half a million people there. Um, it's unrecognized by almost all countries, but it has its own military, has its own borders, its own currency. <laughs> and Moldova is a poorest country in Eastern Europe. So Transnistria is below that. So in the city, you have people living on two to three hundred dollars a month in the villages probably a hundred a hundred and fifty dollars a hundred and a hundred fifty dollars a month so very not a lot of money and what was surprising to me was in a country with a half a million people less than five thousand people are evangelical christians hmm. and so 
what a great opportunity to not only provide practical help, right? Mm-hmm. Um, things, you know, they have clean water, but um, uh, proper shelter, um, mentoring, well, proper shelter, uh, food, we do some food programming. So provide that. But then also, on the other hand, uh, there's such a big need for um, for the gospel there. Yeah. And so it's kind of with our mission, providing practical help and spiritual hope, but ultimately for uh, bringing uh, the gospel um, to to those, and, and we work in Ukraine, so Transnistria and and in Ukraine that we mm-hmm. that we work. Hmm. You mentioned something. You said that during that time <laughs> you kind of felt that familiar nudge, right? And so that takes us back to the initial. Mm-hmm. Like it's you said, man, I, I felt this calling. I felt this, just God putting this on my mind, putting this on my heart. And then I took this time to pray, took this time to reflect and consult with people who I know and trust and love. And then you feel this again. So did it make it easier having taken that first step of faith to then recognize that you needed to take another step of faith? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, it's kind of like leaning into the uncomfortable. And absolutely, you know, you I look back. I mean, that time in my my time in Los Angeles was really a stake in my life of like God's faithfulness, right? God called me um, to Japan, like just called me, you need to go. And then I look back and see this journey that he's taken me on. It's like, you want me to go there? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, you know, it's, yes, I I will, I will go, you know, granted now I have a family, right? I have a family that I can't just get up and, and go. I have to talk to my wife and I have my kids to consider, you know, my, my four kids. And so I can't just move. I can't be, I can't wave, you know, I can't go back and forth. I have to have a conversation with my lovely wife about this and introduce it to her. And then we, we, it's an ongoing conversation of like, is this a good move? Maybe you think it's a good move, but <laughs> you have five other people and your dog to consider. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, not just a one-stop shop for that conversation. That's uh, no, I know we not. talked about that. It's ongoing, and it's an ongoing. And when you have those types of callings, I mean, there's going to be plenty of challenges. I'm sure that you guys deal with day in, day out for that. Yeah, just having you know, again, my kids are are, are have a lot of energy, and I love uh, I love my kids. And I love my wife, but you know you. You know, you think about, um, you think about when they grow up, right? Like how I'm fathering. Yeah, you know, am I being a good dad? Am I terrible? Am I am I a terrible dad? Am I a terrible <laughs> wa- husband? Like my my prayer you know, every night is that um, Jesus will be their best friend, right? And and um, you know, I want my my children to know to know the Lord. You know, and I could tell them all these things that I've done, you know, all the things that I've done, not one of them comes close to um, comparing to my relationship with the Lord, right? It really doesn't. All, whatever I've done. But to tell my children, they're like, you know, they're, they're very simplistic, right? With uh, mm-hmm. a little rabbit trail, I asked my one son, Ari, I said, if you could, if God was standing here right now, you can ask him for anything, what would it be? <laughs> I'd ask him for a tennis ball. <laughs> said, a tennis ball? You can have anything. It's like, yeah, I want one. I want a tennis ball. <laughs> Let me go to the garage. Hold on a second. No. But, you know, they don't, uh, they don't quite understand that. But um, you know, I want to raise my family. I want to lead my family well. Lead, mm-hmm. lead my wife well. Lead my, 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 
my my three boys and my girl so that they follow Jesus, right? And uh, they can have athletic su- success, they can be financial success, whatever it is. But I, more importantly, I want them to know to know the Lord and follow the Lord. No, I think that's I mean, that's impactful because we talk about that a lot. Like we we serve in different ministry aspects, but I mean, all four of us we have we have corporate jobs, and you know, you think about your kids, and that's our main ministry field right now. I mean, if nothing else, we have three kids, three kids, four kids, four kids to, you know, minister to, to hopefully, like you said, come to love and know Jesus. And outside of that, yeah, what do you think they're going to see the most from you? Is it going to be your, you know, are they going to look at your corporate job and look at the money, the things that you bought for them? You know, the fact that you were in the Olympics, that you had some fun in Hollywood for a little bit, or are they going to see you going to these other uh, these other countries, serving these missions, serving people, you know, just putting yourself out there to, uh, to just do things for other people and show God's love in the best way possible. You know, I think they might think about those things now, but as they grow up and really see what's impactful and meaningful in their life, I think that's going to be a ministry to them in and of itself. Yeah. And giving them visibility and, and introducing them to missions and to serving others. Um, that's something we're trying to do I'm trying to figure out how we do that, even as an organization with young families. How do we engage younger families so that you know the the kids can can um, see beyond their their neighborhood, but uh, other kids um, and other parts of the world and and that need and and to your point, yeah, they will see that, but they will also remember, you know, how I respond each day in mm-hmm. situations and mm-hmm. and I. I'm not so good yeah. many, many times, <laughs> yeah. but yep. you know, it's hard trying to be consistent with them, consistent um, with the way with the way I respond to situations, but consistent with just praying with them or reading the Bible or trying to be somewhat consistent with reading um, the Bible so that, you know, you lay a foundation, right? Mm-hmm. You lay a foundation, you try to be faithful, and then you trust the Lord, right? That, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't grow up in a, uh, in a Christian home, like God no one, no one shared the gospel with me until I was 19, but God put, no one shared the gospel with me that put me like a, a yearning in my heart and emptiness in my heart. That was the Lord. Like he did it mm-hmm. apart from everyone. It was just, so I trust that the Lord will do the same for, for my, for my, for my kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, well, I appreciate you sharing the story and, and the impact that things have. I don't want to just wrap things up on that. Anything else from what you guys are currently doing with Summit Missions that you wanted to you wanted to mention? No, I think that um, if if individuals are interested in learning uh, more about Summit Missions, there's different ways to get involved. You can um, certainly you can pray for us. You can. Um, volunteer there's volunteer opportunities you can go on a missions trip um, you can give financially uh, there's a variety of ways to get involved but um, you know you can visit our our newly redesigned website at www.summitmissions.org is the best way to um, to see how you can get involved with uh, with us cool and you had mentioned with you, are you trying to look at ways that kids can be involved as well, too, as, as all of us have kids? Yeah. I don't so, know if that's something in process you know, or not. Yeah, and I've been thinking through some different ways, and I was thinking maybe you can bring the kids in, or w- maybe we can do uh, a project. Uh, we can we can give uh, families a project to do. Like we, mm-hmm. uh, 
it gets cold over in Transnistria and people, their homes are made of straw and mud and mm. not well insulated. And uh, it's heated by wood and wood is hard to come by. And so people are cold there. They no. layer up. Um, blankets are a big need. And so we um, we send blankets over. Um, sometimes we, we can get the, the material from um, a local company that donates it and we um, we can make it. We don't make it. We have volunteers make it. But a way to do that, uh, one idea is to send a kit uh, kits home to a family to have a family project. Like make a blanket, yeah. right? So And you talk about what who this is going to, the need there. Um, and then you bring them in for a couple hours to the mission and you talk about their experience making it. You talk about uh, related to a Bible story of being generous, yeah. um, excuse me, generous or serving. And then you talk about, um, you talk about the, the people that it, it's going That's to, and you introduce them to missions, you show them pictures and, and it just kind of helps give, you know, they can see it, look at it tangibly saying, I'm this blanket that I just made with my hands. It's going to be sent over to halfway across the world to, you know, Sergey that I just saw a picture of that I could, I saw what his house looks like. And they're cold. They're they're really cold. So this blanket, mm-hmm. and so it just even early on just starts of like I want to help mm-hmm. people. And so yeah. looking at different ways, different projects we can do to engage young families. I so love that. I feel like that's super cool. Yeah. And, and I mean, as a family, like we're down. If yeah. we, if you watch that, like, yeah, we, we would love. Is to that do something that. that exists now, or is that just in the future? Because we, I think, all four of us would be. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something we're going to do this year. We'll um, be your pilot. Group. Be, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'd love to be part of that. Now, I've, I've I've had several young families like, how can we get involved? And because it's a local, international, yeah, uh, missions organization, which is not so common around Akron, Akron Ohio. Ohio, right? <laughs> There's a lot of great um, nonprofits, but one that mm-hmm. serves, um, you know, and People can go over. Like I'm going back. I was in there November. In November, I'm going over in March, July, and um, October as well. Yeah. So, so I think you're just giving them as a kid like a broader picture of the world, a broader yeah. picture of God's heart for the world, yes, and people absolutely. in different places, and relating like, like what they're doing to to the Bible, yeah. right? To a, to a Bible story, to a Bible principle, and then seeing how that's that in action. To today, and yeah. that's not just a yeah. past thing. Yeah, yeah, I think we can be. Yeah. That's a very tangible way. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so, the, yeah. So, yeah, cool, it's, it's I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about about that. Yeah, anything that can take our kids away from just thinking about themselves <laughs> and what they need away from screen time really uh, would be yeah. key. Yeah. So I think any of that would be awesome, and we would all for sure be down to, yeah. to help out in any way yeah. possible. So. I, think, I think kids have a heart for some of that stuff too, though. Oh, yeah. like, and it's just hard to find yeah. or incorporate um, creative ways to do it. Yeah. Um, but I love that idea. For sure. Yeah. My, my girls love crafts. So. Mm, yeah. <laughs> nice. yeah. Uh, well, that being said, we do, you know, we've had a number of different people on uh, that serve in different types of ministries, and uh, we love to get involved in any way that we cut, any way that we can, and partner with them and support in any way possible. So, just to kick things off, we do have a we do have a check here for Thanks, Summit Mission. So, we like to give you the big one, yeah. you know, to <laughs> we'll give you a real one. Yeah, yeah. Give you a real <laughs> one, you guys. There. Thank you. So, you know, that's for you can hold that, awesome. but I will need Thank that back. You. We recycle that for each one yeah. that we use. So we'll get it. We'll get a pick after. Let me get a pick here oh, while we're, oh, while we're okay. recording. I thought no. Yeah, we're it's gonna, just <laughs> we're, sure. we're gonna get video here. In some I mean, point, it's a, it's a high tech studio, <laughs> yeah. but you know. Uh, but yeah, 
No, we love to you know love to hear the missions. We love Thank to hear you. the different things that are going on, and obviously you guys are doing some some great work. So yeah. uh, appreciate you sharing your story again, and just the work that God's done in your life, and now doing in your family and and the people that you you're impacting. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Thanks for having that. me, guys. I appreciate. Uh, your heart and uh, what you guys what you guys do here. So it's been it's been a fun evening yeah. so far. Yeah, it'll continue. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Brock. Glad you could join us for another Core Four Life podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share this with a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Core Four Life, or check out our website CoreFourLife.com. That's Core F O U R Life dot com. Core for life. Yep. I said a core for life. <laughs> <laughs> Dilly.